We've been looking at this idea that God, in making us in his image, has given us some of his attributes. And we've been talking about some attributes that we don't often talk about. The fact that God is long-suffering. He's given us the ability to be gentle in the face of repeated failure. Last week, we talked about God's anger going out against anyone or anything who threatens the dignity or safety of life, particularly spiritual life, and how he calls us to be angry at the same thing, starting with the sin in our own heart that leads us away from the life that he gives us. Now this morning, if you've looked in the bulletin and you've read the title of my sermon, Forgetfulness, you might be saying to yourself, whoa, 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 God cannot be forgetful. Can he? Seriously, can he? Let's listen to the word of God being read this morning. Today's reading comes from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 through 12, and Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we thank you that you have called us to meet with you this morning, to speak to us through your word. We ask that you would send your spirit to help us not just hear your love for us, not just hear about your mercy, your grace, and your forgiveness, but to believe it, to be changed by it, to be set free from the power of our own sin. I pray that you would help us to listen with open ears and an open heart, to hear the truth about who we are and what we've done, to hear the truth about who you are and what you have done for us. Pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thursday, this past week, I had just dropped off Michaela at elementary school and I was driving here to the church to drop off Margaret at preschool and to come into the office. Uh, And I got a text from Nicole. Is it just you and Margaret in the car? It's a pretty ominous text. I got to the stoplight at Winchester and Moore Park and I texted back, yes, and my mind started to race. What's gone wrong? Something has to have gone wrong to send a text like that, right? Did the car break down? Uh, did something happen to her? Is she sick? Is one of our relatives sick? Has someone died? She called immediately. She said, I just got off the elevator in the parking garage and you'll never guess what happened. My heart continued to beat quickly. My mind continued to race. Uh, Was she uh, robbed? Was she attacked? She's in a parking garage in downtown San Jose. Did someone on drugs mug her? Was there some kind of incident downtown? What's gone on? She continued, I made it all the way here, and I'm just wearing my slippers. (laughs) See, she had gotten dressed. She had done her hair. She had done her makeup, gotten in the car, driven all the way to downtown San Jose to go to work, parked in the parking garage, got out of her car, got into the elevator, went down in the elevator to the ground floor, and got off the elevator only to realize she was still wearing her comfy new Christmas slippers. She'd forgotten to take them off. Uh, I don't know what kind they are. If you're interested in what slippers could be so comfy, please talk to her afterwards. She'd be happy to tell you. 
Um, then she had to tell her coworkers, hey, I got to run back home because I forgot to take my slippers off. I have to change into some real shoes. Uh, forgetfulness often is a bad thing, at embarrassing at the least. Sometimes it gets in the way of our plans, and sometimes it obstructs us from getting what we want. But here, in these passages, it seems that God is utilizing purposeful forgetfulness, not remembering something for our benefit. It's for our good. On more occasions than just these two, in fact, God proclaims to his people, I will remember your sins no more. Now, here's why I think it's really important for us to see this, to understand it. It's because I don't think we believe God is gracious enough. I think we might have heard it proclaimed that God forgives us of our sins, and that's a great thing in theory, but when it comes to living with our sin and interacting with God about it, we don't believe that he's gracious enough. And so we need to understand that God forgives our sin, and as the psalm, this quote in the front of your bulletin says, removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Not only to be set free from the power of our sin, not only to be able to live as though he really has forgiven us, but in order for us to begin to change the way we view our own sin and we view and interact with the sin of others. What God is saying to us in these passages is that there is forgiveness in the past, there is grace for your present, and wisdom for the future. Those are the three things we're going to look at. And it all starts with this idea that there is forgiveness in the past. It would be very unjust for me to begin this sermon without proclaiming to you that you are a sinner. If you can hear my voice this morning, you and I are in the same boat. We've broken God's laws, and we do it a lot. Every day, left and right, we're sinning. We worship things other than God, money, power, respect, whatever it is. We worship it instead of worshiping God. We bow down to those things, maybe not physically like bowing down, but we organize our lives in such a way as to get closer to that thing or that person that we're worshiping. We use our words negligently or deliberately to uh, prop ourselves up, to deceive other people. Now that's just the first three commandments. I can keep going if you would like me to. If you're not sure if you're a sinner or not, please, let's get together this week. I've got a few really deep, hard questions I'd love to ask you. I don't think that's the case, though. I think most of us, all of us, know that we've messed up. We know morally that we've not done the things that we should do and that we are doing things we should not be doing. We know that. We feel that. Maybe you're not ready to call yourself a bad person, but you know that you've done bad things. And so hopefully you hear God proclaiming, I will remember your sins no more as an encouraging thing, as an exciting thing. And maybe you're wondering, where would we even start with that? Where do you begin to believe that God remembers your sins no more? Well, in these two passages, thankfully, it's in the phrases that come right before God says, I will remember your sins no more. In Hebrews, God says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. In Isaiah, it's I will blot out their transgressions. Hebrews, uh, the author here is quoting the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31. And there in that section, the phrasing is a little different. He doesn't say, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. He says, I will forgive their iniquities. Being merciful, blotting out, forgiving. This is where it all starts. God's reaction to our, the sin of his people 
starts with forgiveness, blotting out transgressions, removing your sin from your ledger. It no longer applies to you. The stuff that you've done in the past, he doesn't see it. That's really important because the past is really powerful, isn't it? It's amazing how long we will allow a success of the past to define us. Hold on to some achievement from five, ten years ago. Maybe when you were in college or you were in high school. What you did still defines who you are. But the other side of the coin is true as well, right? Something that you did you shouldn't have done. Some kind of mess up, some kind of failure. You still feel guilty about that still makes you feel shameful today. How often have you been lying in bed trying to go to sleep and some conversation from six months ago pops in where you said something stupid and you feel just as dumb as you did on that day? Every Christmas, I have the same memory pop in to my mind. I was six or seven and I got my older brother a Tiger Electronics handheld baseball game. Like one of those really tiny two-bit digital, you know, beep, 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 beep. It's annoying now, but uh, it was awesome at the time. I was so excited that I got it for him that I wanted to give it to him early before Christmas Day. But the rule in our house was you open presents on Christmas morning only. Well, Christmas Eve night, I snuck out of bed. I got that present from underneath the tree. I took it to my brother's room and I let him open it and play with his brand new Tiger Electronics baseball game. And I still feel every year, almost 30 years later, the same level of guilt that I did that Christmas morning. It still haunts me. That's simplistic. And we know that bigger failures, bigger mistakes, bigger sins, they last longer, don't they? They hurt deeper They carry shame and guilt that threaten to follow us our entire lives. And what God says here cuts directly into the guilt and the shame hangover that our sins carry with them. God says your past sin, your failure, I have forgiven it. I have blotted it out. He did it himself. God took on flesh. He became man. Jesus Christ lived a perfectly sinless life. But then he took the penalty that your sins and my sins deserved when he was murdered unjustly on the cross. And then he rose again from the dead to guarantee that your sins were taken care of, that they were paid for, that your slate is wiped clean. This this is the foundation of how God approaches the sin of his people. Forgiveness, action applied. Well, that's great, you might say. I'm glad that that happened. I'm glad that God has forgiven me. But like, I'm still sinning today. Right? I still talk about my coworkers behind their back when they mess up. I still get angry at my roommates when they don't clean up after them and I blow up when they walk into the kitchen. I still ignore or neglect my spouse when I don't get my way. That's good that Jesus forgives me, but what about right now? God says the forgiveness in the past shows you that there's grace for your present. Grace for your present. Now, this passage in Hebrews and its companion passage in Jeremiah have always been interesting to me, particularly this verse, uh, verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now, as someone who teaches people about the Lord for a living, this kind of strikes me as maybe God working me out of a job. Um, I'm kind of wanting to know, what, what should we know about the Lord? What is, what is the author of Hebrews getting at? What is God getting at when he's communicating this here? 
that he is a God that is uh, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, as we've seen in the past couple of weeks? Yes, we should know that. Should we know that God is one who forgives the sins of his people? Yes, we need to know that. But the knowing here is much deeper. It's a a relationship, a, a relational knowledge and interaction with God. You see, what he is talking about, what used to happen when they did teach their brothers and their neighbors was in the Old Testament. When the people of Israel, God's people, were teaching each other how to know God. They would say, you have to know intellectually what God has done for his people in the past. You have to know about those things. You have to know the laws and the rules that God has given us to live by so that you can do what he wants you to do. And you have to know the sacrifices that you need to make, the animal sacrifices you need to make when you don't follow the laws and the rules. And when you know these things and you let those things kind of govern how you live, you begin to see that it was always God who has taken care of his people. It was always God who has blessed them. It is always God who has led them and provided for them. It was all on God. But you have to know this stuff. But now, because God took him, our sin on himself, he took it for us, he obeyed when we could not obey. He suffered so we did not have to suffer. He became the sacrifice that we needed. We don't have to just know these things, but we actually get to engage with God because he has taken care of it for us. Not just intellectually, but personally. We get to see God's forgiveness and experience it firsthand, right? And that, that actually is harder than it seems, right? If you've ever uh, moved uh, into a new house or a new apartment, or maybe you've lived in the same place for a long time and you've went and visited somewhere else, you know that the routines and habits of your old place don't necessarily translate to the new place very well, do they? When, uh, let me give you an example. The, the ho- our house in Tennessee To go from the house to the garage, you opened the door to the right. The light was inside the house uh, there on the left side of the door, and the garage door opener was on the right side. Well, leaving my house every day just kind of became this routine where I open the door, turn on the light, open the garage every day. Open the door, turn on the light, open the garage. When we move here, things are a little different. The door still opens to the right, but the garage door opener is inside the garage to the left, and the light for the garage is inside the garage on the right, which means the first couple months of living in our house, I would open the door and just like rub my hand on the outside of the wall because I thought there was a light there, and then I would like smack the inside of the garage trying to open the the door, and it wasn't there, right? Like there's just these fumbling mistakes because I got so used to living a certain way, and now things are different. Well, if you've been used to living a life where you must pay the consequences for your failure, and suddenly someone comes around and says, someone else has paid the consequences of your failure, it's going to take some time to get used to that. It's going to take some time to really believe that it's different, that things have been done as they said they've been done. It's going to take some, a period of adjustment. That's one of the reasons that we have uh, the confession, the time of repentance and renewal in our service every week. It's not just because we love a a time of awkward silence, but because it's a good reminder and it's good practice to see that God always responds to repentance with forgiveness. And so we do that every week with the goal of it becoming habit so that when you encounter sin in your own life, you're able to respond in the same way. Repentance, receiving forgiveness, believing it. This is God's grace for us in our everyday lives. Repentance and forgiveness over and over and over again. It's the rhythm of the gospel. 
repenting of our sins and receiving forgiveness. And hopefully what we see is that we begin to believe that's how we should respond to sin as well. If God forgives when we repent, we should forgive as well, right? If you are following Jesus, if his blood has covered your sin, has wiped it away, washed you clean, then God will always hold the penalty of your sin against Jesus on the cross. Always. If you sin and you repent, the penalty of that sin is on Jesus. So why would you penalize yourself if God doesn't penalize you? Why would you let the shame of your sin be held against you when it's already been held against Jesus? And the same is true when others sin against you. If they ask for forgiveness and you forgive them, why would you penalize them when Jesus has already been penalized for that sin? Why would you hold someone's sin against them when Jesus has already been held to the cross by that sin? We've been set free from the power of sin. Right? If you repent, God forgives. You should forgive you too. If someone repents to you and you forgive, you should really forgive them. How does this work practically? Like, What does this look like lived out day in and day out? Well, imagine a little scenario, if you will, if you will. Your neighbor comes to you and wants to know if you could help them put up a fence in the house, in between your two houses. You don't really want to help your neighbor put up a fence, do you? So you tell him, oh, I, could, I can't do it. I'm so sick right now. That's a lie. You're not actually sick, right? And suddenly, you know, the next day you feel bad. I can't believe I lied to my neighbor. You owe God an apology. You attack the dignity of your neighbor by lying to them. You broke a commandment. So you repent to God. What does he do? He forgives you. But you also need to go repent to your neighbor, right? Because you lied to him. So you ask your neighbor for forgiveness and they forgive you, right? But today, when you're at home watching the 49ers game, through the side window, what do you see? That fence. And you start to feel guilty again. Man, I can't, I can't believe I lied about that. You've been forgiven by God. You've been forgiven by your neighbor. So what should you do? Preach the gospel to yourself. Tell yourself, I have been forgiven. Jesus paid for that lie on the cross. Thank you, God, for forgiving me for this sin. And then let it go. And then let it go. If someone hurts you, speaks slanderously behind your back, ices you out and ignores you, leaves you out of something, and then they come to you and ask you for forgiveness, you forgive them. And what do you do? You let it go. You tell yourself, Jesus already paid for that on the cross. I can let that go. It's great. So an apology is just a get out of jail free card, isn't it? You just apologize to God, apologize to the person you hurt, and it's over. You don't ever have to worry about it again, right? Poof, it's gone. Sin just magically disappears. No. God says there's forgiveness in the past, grace for your present. Sin is also wisdom for the future. Wisdom for the future. So we come back to this question that I asked before we heard the passages read. Does God actually forget the sinful stuff that you've done? Does he forget it? No. The answer is no. God is omniscient, which means that he knows everything, past, present, and future. So if he chose to forget something, he'd be acting in a way that goes against his essence, his, uh, contrary to his nature. God doesn't do things contrary to his nature. So he doesn't forget your sin. But what he promises is that the way that he remembers it is not for your penalty, is not for your destruction as sin requires because that's already been taken care of on the cross. 
So instead, what he sees when he, when he sees your sin is an opportunity for your growth, for your, uh, a chance for you to reform, to be changed, right? Verse 10 uh, of the passage from Hebrews tells us this, the law is written onto the hearts of God's people, into their minds, meaning that even though you've been forgiven of all the sins that you've committed in the past, and God will forgive you of all the sins that you will commit in the future if you trust in Jesus, it doesn't mean that like all actions are just equal, right? That might make sense to us, right? If, if God's just going to forgive me, then it's like everything is just medium, right? It's just like in the middle. It's not going to count against me. He's not going to hold it against me. So it's not really that bad. That's not what God says here. He says, you still know the difference between obeying and sinning, right? That's what the law is there for in your heart, to know the difference. But why? Because it shows us how to work towards right living, how to do what is best and life-giving for yourself and for others around you. This is uh, one of the first things that I noticed uh, different about uh, my uh, view on life. When we moved into Nicole's family's house, right before Michaela, our oldest, was born, uh, we were raising money to plant a church outside of Nashville. Uh, But our apartment lease in Charlotte had run out, and we weren't going to go month to month. It was too expensive, and so we moved in with Nicole's parents. We tried to help out as much as we could. I'm not a great cook, I've told you that many times, but I do know how to do dishes really well. So I tried to wash the dishes and load the dishwasher a lot. What I noticed is that some people believe there's a right way to load a dishwasher, and some people don't. Um, You can tell which one of those people I am. Uh, It started to bother me that Nicole's family doesn't put the forks, uh, tines up, and spoons spoon up in the dishwasher. Everything goes down. It's not going to get clean. So being the kind son-in-law, enlightened son-in-law that I am, I explained this to them. <laughs> Tines up, spoons up, knives down, everything gets clean. They didn't change. They had never lived their lives that way, so they weren't going to just magically change overnight. Well, you can guess I got frustrated. And instead of just allowing that frustration to fester, I just decided, well, it's okay. They can do whatever they want, and I'll just come in behind them and rearrange the dishwasher the way that they should. Instead of just constantly getting angry at them for not listening to me and not doing what I wanted them to do and breaking the 11th commandment of loading the dishwasher the right way, I just changed the way that I interacted with it. And so now when they come to our house to visit and they kindly load the dishwasher for me, it doesn't make me upset. I just stay up later than them and rearrange the dishwasher, right? Again, silly illustration, but the reality is that we should be able to see our past sin as A, forgiven, taken away from us, but B, an opportunity to learn and to grow. Wisdom to avoid the same pain and pitfalls in the future, Right? If you know that you usually do stupid, sinful things when you get around this group of people, or maybe when you're out past a certain time of night, hopefully, eventually, you avoid those people, and you avoid that time of night. If you're tempted to get your paycheck and then immediately go blow it drinking, you should probably put some checks and balances in your bank account or on your credit card. Right? You probably should have someone checking in on your internet activity You need to have people in your life that you can confess your sin to really help you put in good, wise paths for you to move forward, avoiding that sin, and to be there to remind you when you fail that there is forgiveness when you repent. 
right? And this works the same way when others sin against you too, doesn't it? If someone really hurts you, wounds you deeply, and they come and they apologize to you, you should forgive them as quickly as God forgives you. But that doesn't mean that you continue to interact with them in the same way. If you see a repeated pattern of sin against you, it would be incredibly unwise to keep putting yourself in the same situation. So you use the sin of someone else not to hold it against them, but to help you understand how you move forward in that relationship. Maybe you change the way that you interact with that person. Maybe you change how often you communicate or the ways in which you communicate that person with that person. Sometimes the wisdom of past sin tells you you forgive that person, you let it go, but you don't interact with that person again. God uses our sin to point out wise ways for us to continue to follow him towards new life. Band of Brothers is one of my all-time favorite TV series. It was on HBO a long time ago. It follows the 101st Airborne Division that parachuted into uh, France the day before D-Day all the way up until the end of the war. And in one of the episodes early on, uh, one of the privates uh, finds his company finally after several weeks of of just kind of dropping in with different ones. And when he finally gets to talk with his sergeant, Sergeant Spears, he says, I got to tell you, I have to confess, when I landed in France on D-Day, I didn't try to, to fight. I didn't try to find my platoon. I just curled up in a ditch and went to sleep. And the sergeant looks at him and he says, you know why? You know why you hid in that ditch, Private Blythe? Because you think there's still hope. Some hope that you're gonna make it out of this. But the truth is, Blythe, the only hope you have is if you come to accept the fact that you're already dead. And as soon as you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier should function, mercilessly protecting the buddy in your foxhole next to you like a soldier should. The cross of Jesus proclaims the exact opposite message to us this morning. If you are allowing your past sin to control you, if you are letting the sins of others control you and dictating how you communicate and engage with them, it's because you are afraid that life is gonna be taken away. That someone else is going to find out how messed up you actually are and you're going to lose that area of your life. That God may actually punish you the way you deserve to be punished if you admit that you are a sinner. But the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross proclaims this. You're forgiven. You're already alive. You're already alive. You've been given new life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you believe it, the sooner you'll be able to live as you were created to live, as you're called to live, forgiving others and forgiving yourself as God forgives you. Let's pray. God, this is amazing news. So amazing that it's often unbelievable. Unbelievable that you could love and accept someone as messed up as me. We thank you that all we have to do in times where it's hard for us to believe is to look to the cross and know for sure because Christ died and Christ rose again, I've been saved. We've been saved. You loved your people so much that you willingly suffered for us. Pray that that would change us, change me. Help us to be set free from the power of our sin. Help us to forgive others and to turn and put it on the cross. 
knowing that Jesus has paid it all. We pray this in his mighty and powerful name. Amen.